Welcome to the Akiyama Brothers Song to Screen podcast, where two film composers from Southern California talk about the music in film and theater. In this episode, the boys talk about the composer Junkie XL, the tech he used to score Tomb Raider, and his workflow. Find out more at akiyamamusic.com. Hey, Mark. Hi, everybody. Hello, Hi. everybody, too. How are you doing? Good, great. Actually, yeah, it's a bigger everybody this episode because we with we just got a whole bunch of new subscribers on Overcast. Yeah, oh yeah, thank you. Thank you to all those yeah. subscribers. Um Actually, it's it's a a bunch of people we don't know either because it came from the an ad that we put out. So, uh Yeah, so if you do see our little our little icon album artwork at the bottom of your screen if you're using Overcast, feel free to click it. But you've already did that because you're listening. Yeah, and thank you. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to everybody, all you new folks out there that uh, are going to tune in and start listening to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Um, oh, yeah, real quick, yeah. And then so be sure for uh, all you new new listeners out there, um, if you can, please go to iTunes and search us on iTunes and give us a rating on iTunes, and that will really, really help us out and and boost our exposure on itunes and everything and if you want go ahead and and uh, give us a review too yeah um, i think also clicking the star on overclass on overcast does something um yeah i'm not sure i don't know exactly what i should ask marco arment what that's for um he's the creator of overcast but i think it's a good thing if you do that at least i'm pretty sure yeah. it is <laughs> I, yeah and then the other thing too is uh we put it, both of us, we put out kind of a uh, behind the scenes videos, sort of, and little little short videos that go along with the episodes and the content we're talking about for that that episode. So go to our Instagram pages. Um, the We'll put the links to those in the show notes, but it's for me, it's just Mark underscore Akiyama and Landon, it's Landon underscore Akiyama. So if you go to our Instagrams and follow us there, uh, you'll get access to a bunch of behind-the-scenes videos that go along with the episodes and a bunch of other stuff that we're working on. And so we try to mix, like, film and, and music and kind of put out some unique videos. So, yeah, check those out also. Yeah, and you can see some of the instruments that we use. Mark, he put out one where he's using a hang drum, which the hang drum is also on the intro of our podcast. Oh, yeah. The yeah, we were talking about that last week with uh, Glenn Keane's... Uh, VR film duet. Yeah, duet. One of the feature feature uh, instruments in that score was the Halo drum, and there's a I made a little video with his animation, and then the me playing the score from from that film. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you like that, go check that out and see what that that drum looks like and how it sounds and everything. And it's a really unique drum, and um, yeah, we used it we used it on our intro music and. Yeah, I kind of tend yeah. to overuse it on scores, I think. So I, I'm trying to dial that back a little bit, not use it on so much. Yeah, maybe just a little bit, but it actually it's starting to appear in more films. It's addictive than than we've you know than we've seen in the past. Yeah, if you you you'll probably recognize it uh, after you hear it and see it, you'll start recognizing it yeah. happening in a bunch of scores, and it comes up quite a lot. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, it's a cool it's a cool sound. Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, I was also going to say, since we're talking about the VR one that we did last episode, episode yeah. five, 
Guess what? Son of Jaguar was just nominated for an Emmy. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the Jorge Gutierrez oh, short nice. that he did on Google Spotlights. So, oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, congrats to Jorge because that one was really fun. Um, He's an awesome guy. He's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I'm glad. Good. Good job. Yeah, he awesome. did a good, good job. Also, good news too. Greatest Showman album just went platinum. Um, we covered that episode. In <gasps> what does that mean? Episode two, I think. Oh, well, you're so excited. But that means they sold over 1 million albums or 1 million units, um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, it's, that's a pretty big deal to go platinum. Yeah. With that one, though, I'm still hoping they come out with, like, I don't know, a deluxe CD version or something that has the score and the songs. And, yeah. Uh, maybe is a little bit better quality as far as the mastering goes. Because when when I play it through through our system, um, it doesn't. It sounds like they're like MP3 qualities on the CD. It doesn't sound like there's enough information in there, and it's uh, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah. But I don't. So I'm not really sure what happened or if it's just in my head or or just the the style of mixing they went for um like kind of uh to do the the sort of pop the pop mixing style or whatever but i hope they come out with i hope that they at least come out with a cd that has both the score and the songs that would be really nice like they they did that for la la land eventually after the first cd was released they came out with special edition stuff and all that stuff so hopefully yeah or even if they come come out with it on on vinyl with the score and everything, that would hopefully sound better. But that's tricky sometimes because sometimes they just take the CD audio whatever and then put it and then bake it onto vinyl and yeah, then and it's just, you're just gonna it, get the same thing that you've day. heard from the CD. Yeah, and then it's not <laughs> it, that doesn't help anybody. So you're that whatever. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's anyway. So that's that's my little thing about it, but. That's awesome. They keep selling, keep selling the CDs and everything, and it's doing great. I think that I think that movie is actually coming out pretty soon on Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, actually, I've I think it's still at my theater. Um, oh, I, really? I, yeah. I keep checking the new releases on my on my theater app, Fandango, and uh, it, it's still going out. But you know, enough with mm, the old news, awesome. Mark. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Tomb Raider. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. The new Lara Croft movie with Alicia Vikander. Uh, let me see. The score by Junkie XL, a.k.a. Tom Holkenberg. Holkenborg. I think it's Holkenborg. Yeah, I messed up, but... That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> we forgive you. He'll understand. <laughs> he's, a, he's a Dutch composer. He does a lot of cool stuff. He's done Deadpool. He worked on... Uh, Mad Max was his big one. Mm-hmm. Um, what else has he done? He does a lot of stuff with Hans Zimmer when he uh, partners with him on like uh, Batman vs Superman, I think. Which you can have your opinions about, <laughs> but uh, he does a lot of guitar-heavy synth sort of scores and yeah, he's uh, he's not really your traditional Hollywood. No, you know, why I mean, he has some cool philosophies that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're already yeah. going to talk about them. I think we should just get into it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're already getting into it, but yeah. <laughs> like, you wanted me to tell you the one that he comes to mind right now? Yeah, go for it. The one about his studio? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, do it. Just do Actually, it. Actually, wait, okay, let's preface this. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of why we decided to do this this episode also is because he puts out a ton of videos on YouTube, on his YouTube page. Oh, yeah. Of, like, how he works, how he thinks about the score. And he does this, he's been doing this for, uh, like, a couple of his most recent movies, like Dark Tower, a couple months ago. He, he did a little series of videos for that one. So he what he does he he's like goes through his process um, of orchestrating and writing in the computer and then he even does some of taking it to the recording sessions and working with an orchestra with it and an orchestrator and then what he does when he gets those recordings back into the computer session and how he mixes everything and how he delivers things to movies so he gets super detailed and it's. Landon told me the other day, he was like, Mark, this is like a goldmine of information of stuff. Oh, yeah, it really nobody is. Nobody talks about this stuff, and this is the kind of like nitty-gritty stuff that, that really helps composers out, and um, this is the stuff we're interested in because uh, there's not a lot of answers out there, and it's hard to you know ask composers or yeah. reach out to them. So I'm really glad he puts out this stuff, and yeah, yeah so... I mean, he's like... That's kind of why we wanted to do this. He's just super transparent about it. He lets... He, he, he's basically peeling back the veil and showing you his whole workflow. He's doing a screen grab of, you know, his whole... Uh, his whole... The templates that he's using for Tomb Raider and also... Yeah, like, so what he does... Ones. What he did for this one is... So he's so far, he's releasing new episodes every Friday. Mm-hmm. So, so far, he has three episodes. And the first one he did was... He released it on like this new website where you had to go in and like decrypt some puzzle code thing to go along with the Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider theme. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, you had to you had to type in like uh huh. Yeah, uh huh. And then so you had to do that to get access to the first video, and then he released the second video and the third video, and then I he's gonna do another one soon coming up, talking about like the special Tahitian drums that he had made, yeah. which were made locally, well, locally for me, here in San Diego. So I'm really looking forward to what he has to say in that video and everything. Um, Tahitian drums, they're, they kind of sound similar to African drums, but um, they have really thick, uh, like, rims around the, around the drum heads, and the drum heads are usually animal skin, and they, uh, they have a bunch of different styles of drums tahitian drums some of them are even just like wooden logs that you hit with a stick like obviously they're carved wooden logs and everything and they look mm-hmm. awesome with all the carvings on and everything but so there's a bunch of different styles that uh styles of tahitian drums that he had made specially for this tomb raider movie um oh, I yeah locally that. here in san diego yeah that's as much as i know so far so um we can yeah, get, I'm looking forward to see what he has to say about that. So yeah, we can always follow. Maybe we'll up do with a follow up episode. later. But yeah. Hmm. So I was like, yeah, San Diego, the San Diego percussion. <laughs> All the best things are made in San Diego. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I hope he. I also hope he gives the name of the guy who he got the drums from because I would uh, like to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. So how about we get into it? Do you want to talk? Yeah, to- let's do that. Uh, how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about the songs that he did in the, uh, uh, the videos of, yeah, so far? Yeah, kind of talk about his workflow for those videos or or what? What do you think? Yeah, sure. No, let's just do that and talk because most of this stuff is going to be uh, mostly talking about his technology and his philosophies and 
uh, what, yeah, his workflow mostly. Um, Because one of the things the director said for this one, um, he really wanted it to kind of sound, how do I say this? Sort of experimental kind of. Like he didn't want strong orchestral melodies. He didn't, he, um, which Tom Holkenborg said is kind of rare in Hollywood. So like his first initial cues, um, the director even said, uh, lighten up on the, on the orchestral mat, mm-hmm. lighten up on the orchestral melodies a little bit and go a little more for the experimental kind of sound design mesh sort of score. Right. Which right. is what he ended up with. Um, so yeah, what well, somebody asked him in like one question, I think they were like, what, what do, what do you say when people say this one's not melodic or memorable at all, really? And, and Tom Holkenborg was all like, well, that's what the director wanted. And that's the angle we went for. <laughs> um, we tried to stay away from having strong thematic material. Like, obviously there's, there's themes built in like themes for her father when you see him, uh, I think that comes up in one of the cues, Return to Croft Mansion. Yeah, um, it comes up in a few other ones. Oh, yeah, and when when we say cue, I mean just any... A cue means a piece of music written for a specific uh, scene yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. They just call it cue. Yeah, they also um, have, like, their own lingo. What? Um, I think one of the videos he's... the. The specific cue is called 2M11, which means cue number 11 in real 2. R-E-E-L 2. And that's the Return to to Croft Manor um, song, score. Return to Croft Mansion, Manor, yeah. Is it Mansion? It's Mansion, my bad. Yeah, so that's just a way to number the the pieces so you keep them organized for like a whole two-hour film. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, films used to be cut up into reels when when they were on film, like actual film. So each reel holds like maybe twenty minutes of film. So that that's how they number the the reels. They still go by that every like twenty twenty minutes. First twenty minutes is reel one, second twenty minutes reel two, and then you have the M stands for music. So you have two M eleven if that's the numbering. For the cue, it's real two. So the second 20 minutes of the movie, M stands for music, and then number 11 yeah. or whatever, the 11th piece of music in music that reel. Music cue number 11. That was super techie. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, we might end up getting really techie in here. <laughs> so if you get lost, um, shoot us a message, and we'll try and explain things a little bit better. You know, we should have a live chat going for stuff like this. <laughs> That's true. We could do that too and answer questions. Oh, yeah, that, there's an idea for an episode. That might be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't <laughs> think about that. That'd be cool. Yeah, well, let us know if you'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. We might not get any questions, so that might be a terrible idea. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're going to start teasing the episodes, what we're going to be talking about in the episodes a little bit sooner. So if you do have any questions, shoot them your way. Or sorry, not your way, but our way so that we can get them. And uh, and we'll try to answer them as yeah. best as we can and talk about it. Um, but yeah. for this one, I think we're just going to focus on mostly the the tech that he used. Um, 
Yeah, he uses uh, a software program to write his music, a DAW, Digital Audio Workstation. Uh, like an example of those, the most common one is Logic, mm-hmm. Apple's Logic. Yeah. Uh, then you also have Pro Tools and Cubase, uh, made by a company called Steinberg. Cubase is the one that Tom Holkenborg uses uh, for all his movies, and that's the common one that Hans Zimmer and his whole team uses also. So that's kind of, it's an established DAW program also. Um, And it does some really cool things. And I'm trying to experiment with the program and to get better at that one also. So, uh, yeah, because right now we mostly use... His videos are actually really helpful to me. (laughs) Yeah, they look tutorials. But you and I, we mostly use Logic Pro X now. Yeah. Do you get all Like right now we're recording into Logic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just because it's easier for this. Um, yeah, but the cool thing about Cubase is uh, when he first starts, he you can have you can set up little bookmarks. Um, bookmarks. You mean markers? Uh, yeah, markers. Bookmarks. They're yeah, markers. They're called markers in the program, but and they're basically marker. bookmarks. <laughs> Not that kind of marker. I know. But, <laughs> yeah, that's why I said bookmarks. So it's, <laughs> Because people understand what a bookmark is. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, so so what he does is like when he first gets uh, like a clip, an edited clip or whatever, he'll go in and then with this marker track, like it, it's a thing at the top of your session and you mm-hmm. can have as many of these in Cubase as you need, which is really nice because I'm not sure you can add multiple markers, marker tracks in Logic. I think you can, I but think not. You can only do the one. Not, not sure. like, not like in Cubase, because in Cubase you can stack them as much as you want on top of each other. Um, yeah, it's really cool. So he kind of has like a pyramid setup, where it shows. Yeah. You know, oh, you can see a clear wave. Uh, if you're on, if you're on Overcast, I'll actually be putting the image, a screen grab of the YouTube um, tutorial that he was giving yeah, was so say. you can see what the markers look like or as Mark likes to call them book markers. Yeah. And you'll see what the session looks like. Um, what the digital, what the computer workstation looks like mm-hmm. the, uh, the session file, yeah. the program that he's working in Cubase. What am I saying? Come on. <laughs> okay. Here we are. Welcome. It's Sunday. Well, it's actually Monday, but we're recording on Sunday. So you're going to hear this uh, on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so what he does with this bookmark, sorry, this marker track, now it's stuck in my head. Just use marker. So what he does with this mark, yeah, what he does with this marker track is he goes in and like maps out where he wants the music to uh, die down, when he wants it to become more suspenseful, when he wants it to like ramp up, you have a big orchestral swell, when he wants it to, um, Let's see what else. Die, die. I said die down. Yeah, he's so, he so also, he's kind of like building. He's building an arc of where he wants the music to take you through that whole clip. So he goes in and he knows where this what the score needs to do at each moment before he even lays down the music or writes anything for the cue. He has a map of like the points he needs, the emotional points of the the clip that he needs to hit where. Uh, the music needs to cut out, be quieter, softer, all that kind of stuff. So he has a really, he sets down a really good guideline um, before he even writes the music. 
Um, and that's like a good way to just get started scoring without actually having to do the hard, intimidating part that is sometimes hard to start, which is actually sitting down and writing the music. Yeah, so he's basically <laughs> just making a map for himself so he knows where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, <gasps> a map like Tomb Raider. Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's funny because I was looking at some of his... was not planned. I... <laughs> I did that on purpose, actually. <laughs> no, you didn't. Don't take credit for my, my line. Nobody will know if I did that on purpose. I set you up for it. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep hitting the we mic. We will know. Um, there was a moment, and I think in his third third video, where I was looking at his, his markers, and one of them just says, um, oh, bleep, like, oh, bad word. <laughs> 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 You're kidding me. No, I'm serious. I missed that. It actually said that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that that's that's oh where he just says <laughs> that's just a moment where he can kind of you know remind himself, okay Wait, so something the, needs to happen here <laughs> where it's like, oh So ah. did the yeah, so did the music ramp up for that, or like was that a huge music moment? Or it was, was actually that a, like it was kind of like out a of the hit. way of what's happening on screen. We had we had okay, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a hit. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Oh, the other thing you do is he he's he uh you try to find a tempo that's consistent throughout the whole the whole length of the clip, so that that lines up with the hit points in the movie. Or in the clip you're working on, and like what I mean by hit points is if, I don't know, if she's running and then she jumps off a cliff uh, and you want to make that drop the music out and have like a sound effect that goes, whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's say that's a hit point. So you can mark in also with the markers, like there's a hit point that needs to happen there. And then so you can change the tempo of the scene to make sure that your music lines up with that. And so what he does is he tries to find like a consistent tempo as, as best he can, where he doesn't have to change the tempo very often. And there was one cue, I think in the third, the third video he talks about where it pretty much stays at 80 beats per minute, the whole cue. Yeah. And this is a long cue, like an eight minute cue. And, um, he spent the time to find the, the perfect tempo to go with the music he had in mind and to hit all the the cues the the whatever the little hit points of the what he wanted to do with the scene mm-hmm. what you're talking about mm-hmm. is the the the, track, the tempo map what lies yeah what lies underneath yamatai that's the that's the track if you want to oh yeah and i think that's part three of his youtube tutorial yeah yeah they're actually really cool videos so you should watch them Yes, um, they are even though we're giving you a an overall an overall uh, summary, you know he kind of reminds <laughs> he kind of reminds me of like your dorky dad though, because uh, his intros are what? No, he doesn't. Yeah, his intros are kind of quirky because he's oh, like, yeah. "Hey, welcome to Studio Time with Junkie XL. I'm Junkie XL, Tom." And of course, so, here yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, what I don't do know you... how he finds time to make these videos, but it's great. It's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about the tempos, and you were talking about the time-sensitive tempos. Um, oh yeah, the time-based well, time-based markers. That. I meant yeah, 
Yeah. So anyway, okay, so let's talk about the instruments he uses and like the sounds he builds and how he kind of does that. Okay. Because those go across for all the tracks pretty much. Yeah. The way he does, um, in a lot of times, composers. Uh, let's talk about a template first. Um, okay, cool. So for his template, a lot of times. Okay, you want to go or me go? You go. I don't know. Who knows more about this? Just you or just, me. Okay, fine. You just go. I'll put in my two cents okay, afterwards. Thank you. <laughs> God, sassy. Even though my sense is worth a nickel. Wow. Anyway, okay. okay, so a lot of times composers will have like a set template of the instruments that they know they're going to use. So the safe bet is like orchestral orchestral instruments. You have like your string section, string section. You have your brass section and percussion section. Um, so those are common. So he has that template set up, and then he has for Tomb Raider. He did like a special. What do you call it? Special projects. Special project instruments uh, folder. And those are those are for instruments that are unique to the film. Each uh, clip or cue, music cue, piece of music, he uses that template. So the sounds are always um, the same. So you get a cohesive sound throughout the whole movie and you're not switching between these sounds or these sounds mm-hmm. and then it gets all messy and you don't want to deal with that. So right. um, for his special projects, for his special project instruments for this one, he did a lot of um, synthesizer sounds mm-hmm. and stuff and sound design sounds which is like one of his really big uh, strong points as a composer because he does that. uh, He likes to build his own sounds a ton. And he has, like you'll see in the videos, he has a ton of um, vintage synthesizers and analog gear. And he has a whole wall of like different patch. uh, I don't even know what they are really. Like... It's a like a huge wall old of computer synthesizers modules. and yeah. yeah, like really old retro gear mm-hmm. and he builds or he customizes this, these sounds to make special in, special sounding instruments for each movie and then gives each movie its distinct sound that way. Um, right. And for one of these... He's really good at that. Yeah, one, for one of these special instruments, he... he basically made um, a special guitar sound with a whole bunch of guitar pedals that he just ended up recording so that he could have those to sample throughout the score. Yeah. And you being a guitar player, that's the kind of thing that I really want you to start getting into when when you're back here in California with me. Yeah, I'm already um, into that stuff. I do that. <laughs> yeah, but you need to you as need much to as I can into that. <laughs> Yeah, and you need to get really into that. You know, that's really going down the rabbit hole because we could talk about yeah. Because what he can do days. is like we could talk he, about phasing and 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 delays, time delays, and stuff. Because yeah, because he can take a guitar sound and then turn it into something that doesn't even sound like a guitar anymore. Yeah, and but it came from that sound, and then he just saves that as an instrument and then uses it for the score. Yeah, so that was mm-hmm. that's one of the instruments that would go into the special projects instrument folder that ends up being specific to this film. And then yeah. and then for the rest of it he has like these preloaded instruments that are in every score of his for all for all the kinds of films like Mark was yeah, talking about. Your your basic your standard ones. orchestra mm-hmm. instruments, yeah. 
Yeah, so in these videos, he goes through and, like, shows... He breaks down and he'll play, like, the special sounds that he... Especially in the first video, if you want to hear this, the cool sounds that he's actually made, go to the first video and... Uh, yeah, we have links for all these things in the show notes and stuff, but um, he'll go through and, like, play all the sounds that he's made and then after he plays the whole music cue. So you'll see, like, all the instruments that he's using and how big the... how many instruments he's using and everything. And it's a lot of uh, really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. Right. He also talks about, like, a lot of his favorite plugins for this. Yeah. Um. So like plugins, I mean, um, like what reverb effects he uses, what compressor or yeah. uh, what com- uh, software compressor he uses. Right. Basically, um, what things you can use to man- manipulate the notes and the sounds. Yeah. 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 And he goes through and kind of dials or shows you how he dials in those things too right. and how... Uh, big a difference they make oh yeah speaking of which like one thing he did say uh somebody asked him like why he doesn't treat the room he's in like why he doesn't soundproof it at all mm-hmm. and the thing he said was um i could do that but when are you ever going to be in a perfect sounding room to listen to the music so if if like the theater is not going to sound like that, you're not going to hear that at a DJ concert or anything. It's a, a huge auditorium or something, which is what he, he like comes from. That's his background. He was a, a touring musician. Uh, I think a touring guitarist and like a, a DJ kind of guy. Um, yeah. So he used to like make his own tracks and mix his own stuff and everything. And then like play in these huge uh, venues where it was, really terrible sound quality and his so that was good practice for him for to get his mixes to sound the way he wanted them to in those kind of environments so he doesn't like to work in his studio has like doesn't have treatments on the walls or anything like because he said if you make like small adjustments to like the eq to change the sound with the Mm -hmm. software plugins if you make small adjustments in a perfectly soundproof room or sound treated room you're going to hear like a big, a a big immediate difference with like the smallest tweaks, but you're not going to hear any of that if it's in like a really messy sounding room. So your mix is not going to sound as great in there. So he, um, I also think it's also because he has so much equipment on the walls and everything like his huge stack. He doesn't have any room to soundproof uh, it. He doesn't have room to treat the, (laughs) treat the room anyway, but yeah, that was just I, something I thought of just now. Sorry, no, it's okay. That's a huge tangent right there. There's, um, there's actually. What are we talking about? I, I want to talk about one sound in particular that he uses for the dad. Um, oh yeah. Hold on, I'm trying to find it. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go. Here we go. So, um, for Richard Croft, the dad of Lara Croft, he uses a specific sound, kind of during the memory moments, and it. It's called a reverse piano, and so what? Oh it, yeah, okay. Yeah, so what it mostly sounds like is uh, when you first hit a piano note, a key, you hear like the initial hit, and then it starts to decay. But the re- reverse piano sound is basically the opposite of that. You start hearing the de- the decay first, and then the hit. Um, yeah, so it sounds kind of like this. 
And uh, and I yeah. like that. And he ends up using a whole bunch of like a lot of plugins for it. One of his one of them is like the M Wobbler, um, which looks to be like a, a compressor with low pass and high pass filters. And then and then I think on that he also uses something called the Zebra Loop New Stomper. Um, and then, is that a guitar effect? Uh, a little bit. I'm not. Is that a software plugin you're yeah, talking about? That's a software plugin. Um, mm. So the, he uses those to kind of get get the um, get the specific down that he wants, and it ends up being really interesting because um, once you hear it, when you hear it once, you recognize it after that. It's mm. because it becomes that reverse piano becomes a really recognizable sound. So he doesn't use a lot yeah. of melodies to, oh, like you know, like strong John Williams melodies to define the characters. He uses more kind of simple melodies, but with really altered sounds. And he keeps those effects specific to each character, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't uh, he doesn't do any reverse piano kind of effects for the. For Laura, I don't think. No, not really. It's mostly just unless for the it's dead. like a chase, a chase scene or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, because in this movie, in this movie, we kind of explore. It kind of takes place before she really becomes like Tomb Raider, and like is, an origin story before she's. Yeah, it's before she's really. Uh, finds what she's supposed to be doing, and uh, so she's. She ends up searching for her dad, or what happened to her dad, and then uh, along the way, kind of whatever happens to her is kind of what helps turn her into the Tomb Raider. Yeah, it's basically yeah, so it's your, like an your hero arc. Yeah, but I, what I really liked about it is they kept the mystery and like the puzzle solving aspect instead of just like a action film the whole time. Mm-hmm. Which was really nice. It was kind of along the lines of like a national treasure. Um, what's the other one? Da Vinci Code da sort Vinci of Code. story. Yeah. Yeah, which was really nice. I like that. Which was surprising. I wasn't sure what would... Like from the trailer, I wasn't sure. I thought it was just going to be a all-action movie. But there's a cool puzzle in there. Yeah. I was going to say the puzzle moments like work really well for... Uh, for the the sort of delay and echo effects that he does, Junkie yeah. XL or Tom, because it kind of makes it sounds like your uh like what you imagine a a mind thinking and working through things would sound like, and that's kind of like a a, a lot of sounds bounce or bouncing back and forth, like your mind racing between things, thinking things and figuring mm-hmm. things out and trying to solve puzzles and everything. What were you going to say? I was also going to, I was going to talk about the second part of his, uh, second video. Yeah. It was a YouTube tutorial just really quickly. Cause it, this one's a shorter one. Um, if you're curious about what kind of strings he uses, what kind of sample strings he uses, cinematic strings. Um, but it's that's sounds, the company cinematic strings. Yeah. So what we mean by sample library is uh, there's companies out there that will record uh, live instruments and then map them out into to create software instruments using those live recordings so that you can um, you can program the instruments 
and use those sounds in your in your work in your uh, digital audio workstation to create the orchestral sounds or whatever sound library they have and um, they sound the goal is to sound as close to a live orchestra as you can without having without like sounding fake or um, bad quality software instruments so these sample libraries what he does it sounds like what he does is he you talking you were going to talk about this right i guess yeah i was is that what you were getting to that was what i was getting to <laughs> okay sorry i took over a little bit sorry but okay. yeah it sounds like what he does is he he takes the sample libraries uh, that he gets from these companies and then he resamples them and sort of runs them through his own I think he runs them through like his own hardware or EQ effects or he adds like a, like customization stuff for how he wants them to sound in the end. So what he he basically creates his library out of an existing library. So he customizes it to to get this exactly the sound that he wants to use. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ways um, that he does it... And I don't really know what he does. Well, I yeah. think that one of the ways that he does it is um, he resamples them using three different microphone positions. So one of them mm. one of them would be a, a close microphone position, so the microphone picks up exactly what the instrument is doing. And then the second one would be a room mic. Like really close, yeah. Yeah, a okay. room mic to pick up like the ambient noise and everything else from around it. So a little further away. Mm -hmm. And then the third one would be a mic for the back to hear um, for the surround sound effects so you can hear what's behind the instrument. Oh, yeah, because he has his studio set up where he can mix in 5.1, I think 5.1 probably. Yeah. He mixes in 5.1 surround sound, so he has a couple speakers behind him and then his main setup of speakers in front of him and then a center channel also in front of him. And then a, a subwoofer also. Mm-hmm. So he he mixes his stuff in 5.1 already, it sounds like. Right. So uh, which, is, which is pretty interesting if you're writing music that way because then you can mess around with the placing of instruments from front to back behind you or in front of you and also left and right, which is really cool. Yep. So usually... Um, this in the, in this particular video, he takes you behind the scenes and shows you how they recorded this, the the instruments and then what he did afterwards. So they recorded the live instruments in London. Um, oh, maybe I should back up. First, he wrote the score using these samples and programming the sounds. So, like by programming, Mark means um, placing the individual notes wherever you want with the intended velocity and intensity. And then so once he gets that where he wants it, they'll take it to a live recording session and have a full orchestra recording those brass sounds and the string sounds. And then after that, he'll put those live recordings back into his his um, session. Computer. Yeah, the back computer into his computer on the, in the computer session, the program. And then he'll mix together the live recordings with the sample recordings. So basically giving the live recordings the uh, the upper hand, the more presence, and then using just those samples to beefen up 
the sound. Yeah, it depends on what uh, section of the orchestra he's doing. Because um, so what they call that is like a hybrid score, where you have a mix of uh, live orchestra instruments and then the computer software instruments also. And what you like for say for the brass section, the live recorded brass had a much warmer kind of tone and a softer tone a lot of times than the actual than the sample libraries the the sample libraries for brass at least can they can sound kind of harsh and um have a bright. really sharp yeah a sharp high end especially um so one of the tricks he talks about for that one is he he'll eq the 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 brass samples and he'll cut off a little bit of the high end so it's not not as not as harsh sounding and then when he mixes that in uh, with the live recorded brass, he'll bring up the software instruments just enough so that they add a little a little bite to the um, to the live recorded instruments and and support them a little bit more. But he's always trying to make sure that the live orchestra recording is the most important thing heard. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So you don't get that like kind of fake in the box sound of using too many or using too much of the sample libraries. Yeah. But then all his, all his, the special instrument sounds that he creates with the synthesizers and everything, those don't get re-recorded. Those are the, those end up being the, what's in the movie Mm -hmm. in the final, in the final uh, mix file. Yeah. Because I think most of them are actually, live recordings that he's done because he sampled those instruments himself and then from just, keyboards and stuff from, yeah, yeah from keyboards from guitars from pedals and synthesizers and then he just tweaks them so that stuff you really can't do without tweaking them so that's what that's where he gets his his um unique sound kind of like signature sound yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah yeah he comes up with some really awesome sounds with the synthesizers and everything he has oh, so much yeah. like gear it's ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. awesome. His his room looks like like a an old uh, like computer warehouse kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Basically, a toy store for musicians. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Well, did you want to do something? Uh, he goes he goes through a little bit of the also what the the job of his orchestrator is and what the orchestrator usually does is they'll take the the computer file this is before they go to the recording session so the orchestrator will write out the the music on on paper basically for the all the musicians to read during the recording session Mm -hmm. and um sometimes if it's like a a basic chord um that's in the in the computer session the orchestrator will have to map out that chord for different instruments like what what note the viol- the violins are going to play what note the violas are going to play what note the cellos are going to play right. to to basically give them all their parts um yeah and divide that chord up into yeah. the the string section or brass section or across the whole orchestra so that's the job of like the orchestrator mhm uh, I don't have anything else. Um, but basically, so 
there you, you get an idea of how how basically junky XL is not your typical film composer um, or your you know your traditional Hollywood composer I should say even his name junky XL isn't that that's like a stage name right yeah he's, <laughs> uh, yeah except on this score he it does say Tom Holt Hulkenborg in the it, it does in the credits but it also yeah. says aka junkie xl oh does it really it yeah oh, maybe well on the album artwork it says aka yeah. junkie xl <laughs> oh okay well cool. there's All that right. <laughs> so i think we should make up our own names too like i'll be batman and you could be robin for our composer names that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works at all i think that if anything you'd be alfred i'd be alfred oh yeah you're right because i'm super organized and clean and you can shine my shoes no i think we should be actually it would be i would be shaggy and you'd be scooby did you watch the batmobile today <laughs> <laughs> what no is that supposed to be your batman Take voice a hike, alfred you're a, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that'd be a terrible batman voice you want justice i was going for the I was going for the George Clooney Batman. Oh, and that Batman sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about Batman? Because he did Batman vs Superman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Let's. I think it's time to wrap this up. It's I think it is. Little, We're getting a little loopy, a little goofy now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that that was a little bit of how, uh, well, like a general of how a composer works nowadays with the computer workstation and and sample libraries and then going taking those and working with live orchestras to record your stuff and then yeah. what you do with those recordings after and you mix mix your original um sample session with the live recordings and uh just some stuff to think about when you're uh working how like how a, a workflow yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and what's really and like the cool the cool thing about Junkie XL, I don't know why I call him Junkie. His name's yeah. Tom. <laughs> what's up, Junkie? The cool thing about Tom <laughs> is like what he does with the creating his own instruments, like a huge folder of these special instruments. Yeah, it's just like created 60, for 60 something special movie. instruments that he made for just for this for this movie. I'm sure there's way more than that because sometimes it's just like 60 instruments that are playing at that track on that on that piece of music for the time but oh yeah yeah well, it's really cool how probably. he builds his own instruments and then mixes those or uses those special instruments to kind of create the the signature sound of the film and yeah and what they want to do with it and everything i think this one was also helpful because he shows you how he stays organized because doing this stuff i i can see how people get really lost um especially yeah. if you're a newbie you have to have yeah yeah, so you have to have a good set of organizational skills, like right. whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Which is good because I I like yeah. the organizational side of things. Because if it's not organized, I yeah, can't work. Yeah, well, he does that because he needs to be able to find things really fast and efficiently, and work and work efficiently, and be able to go back between old sessions and new sessions to find yeah like stuff that a director specifically wants. Mm-hmm. So that's all really helpful to stay organized um right anyway that pretty much wraps it up for this episode um yeah hope you guys liked it um you know and if you did please review us if you didn't please review us (laughs) yeah and thank you again to the new subscribers we have from overcast we really appreciate it um 
Yeah. yeah. And that's not to so, say that we've forgotten uh, about our current subscribers. <laughs> Everywhere else. We no, appreciate you guys too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, yeah, definitely go to our, our Instagram pages to see some of the behind the scenes videos we make and the ones that go with the episodes each, each week. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you want to contact us, uh, go to Akiyama music.com. You can contact us through there. Um, you can take a look, follow at- us or yeah. Take a look at some of the scores we've done, what we're up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also yeah. if you want from there, you can, from the homepage, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which is, Oh yeah, basically, it's 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 the tandem to the the right hand to this podcast. So it just gives you a little bit more information about um, what Mark and I have been been up to. What kind of more about Junkie XL? You also can watch the the links that we put about this this episode from there. Also, you can get to that from the newsletter. And also, we just like saying thank you to you guys. So that's another way for us to say thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys. We actually we really appreciate all all your uh, all your feedback and your reviews and you know just listening. It means a lot to us. Yeah. So sorry this was kind of a tech heavy pot, uh, tech heavy episode, but mm-hmm. the we thought it was really cool how he works and everything. So yeah. definitely check out those videos and uh, see you next time. I think we're gonna try. Uh, we might try to talk about Steven Spielberg's new movie, Ready Player One. Yep. Yeah, so get ready for that. Uh huh. So get ready if yeah. you've already seen it. You know, maybe think of some questions that you want to shoot our way, or just uh, prep for it. You know, I'm gonna be prepping for yeah. it. So. Also, oh yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, try to go see it in the 70 millimeter format. Oh There's yes, couple, they've released that in 70 millimeter format with the the real film projector, uh-huh. real film projector. So uh, try to find a theater that is playing that that version of it. Uh, it should look really cool. Anyway, right. that about wraps it up. So, yes, it does. All right, thank yeah, you, Mark. Thank you guys for listening. Yes. Yeah, talk to you later. Talk to you later, brother. Bye. Bro- Whoa, talk to you later, brother. Bro. Oh, jeez. Get it right. Get it, whatever. <laughs> okay. okay, let's cut this off. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Good night. Night.